Do you ever use the stairwells at the corners of Portage and Main? They've got stairwells at each corner that lead you down into the concourse, and they're talking about maybe shutting down the one outside the Richardson building. Lorena actually went down to all four corners this morning to take a look, and she did not have a glowing review, and that triggered all kinds of discussion about what we should do with those stairwells, and yes, more discussion on what we should do with Portage and Main. Also today, we had a big chat about sports because it's Bomber Game Day and many questions abound about the Winnipeg Jets and what is going to happen with Connor Hellebuck and PLD. And inspired by my stupidity in my apartment, we had a lot of fun today talking about times we tried to fix something and only made it worse. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. This is the Thursday, June 22nd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word grievance, I think maybe a union situation might come to mind or some sort of work situation. I have a grievance with many software issues we have at work because of mistakes that I make. So really, my grievance is with myself. But we just heard about a grievance. (laughs) When I saw the headline, I started laughing. (laughs) <laughs> a politician is going out in Canada is filing a grievance about Taylor Swift. In a in a letter, there's a couple of MPs, but this is started with an Edmonton MP who doesn't know how, how one files an official grievance, but wants to basically let the nation know that he's upset that Taylor Swift has announced her heiress tour and uh, has neglected Canadian dates. There's, she's not coming to Canada. And so he wants to file an official grievance. And in his letter wrote, quote, Similar to what's being considered in Australia, I would like to file an official grievance within Parliament on behalf of all Swifties in Canada for her and her team to reconsider. (laughs) So I suppose, I don't know if it's the best way I would like my local politician to use his time. On the other hand, why should she come into Canada? So so this is expected to be the largest grossing concert tour of all time. It's taken America by storm. We were talking about these sort of mini residencies. A lot of a lot of artists are are taking up these days. I am shocked by the number of people that I know that have traveled to the States over the last several months to go and see Taylor Swift in a variety of different venues. But this is uh, very interesting that the politicians would be taking up this cause. Uh, one part of the conversation is interesting, though, and that has to do with the economic impact. Because this is these are huge shows, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is an Edmonton MP. Metallica is going to Edmonton later on this summer. They're not doing one but two shows. It's like a it's a basically Metallica is doing these two concert sets right across North America if it's not a world tour. And so they're setting up in Edmonton and they're doing two shows, but they're not different. They're, they're they're not the same show on two nights. It's sort of like, come and see us Friday. We'll do part of the show and then come back Saturday. And Commonwealth Stadium can accommodate close to 60,000 people for these events. So you're talking over 100,000 people on mm-hmm. cumulative nights. And I would imagine that this MP in Edmonton's thinking, if Taylor Swift came to Canada... They might get two shows up in Edmonton. That's big boon to the economy. Yeah, and that's part of his letter. That the idea right? that you you know you could have money, and then the, he he also added, "I hope we put swift attention to this matter." 
So I don't know if this is posturing, (laughs) pandering, uh, but I was shocked to see this story also. Yeah, so Swifties uh, all across the land are feeling the snub from Taylor Swift. So uh, hopefully, maybe the grievance will work and she'll say, okay, all right, Canada, I'll I'll come see you. But uh, you can read more at cjob.com or globalnews.ca. Also, yesterday, rain threatened us in Winnipeg, but I was in LaSalle yesterday afternoon. I got like scattered, really light drizzle for 10 minutes, and that was it. Uh, but it looks like this morning going to be potentially a different story. Yeah, I can see out to the west here from 30 floors above. And yeah, some uh, interesting cloud formations for sure. Uh, it's pretty dark out there and I'm looking at the radar and uh, there's there's lots of activity to the west, to the south and even to the north and west of Winnipeg this morning, Brett. Yeah, so you can feel free to let us know what you're seeing. If it's pouring, is it just light rain at uh, 204-780-6868. Also today at 6.30, we'll get a bit more into this, but uh, Sarah McCarthy touched on this in her newscast, but uh, no more stairwell, at least at one of the corners of Portage and Maine. Yeah, this is a conversation that's taking place at City Hall. There's a community. Imagine that. There's a report conversation on this but essentially it's a motion to get rid of the stairwell the public stairwell that helps individuals access the concourse at portage in maine it's in uh, massive disrepair disrepair pardon me it's connected to what's been an incredibly renovated richardson square so we'll talk about that the implications of closing one of these public access points and what does it mean for the entire intersection possibly I think there just needs to be, you know, like an understanding here of time and why it's taking so much time to just make these decisions. And it just feels like we're coming back to, I was reading part of the report this morning. They've been talking about this since 2018 and then it goes before that. And so here you are five years later and now we're going to maybe close the stairwell and maybe talk about refurbishing the, the street level area so it looks nicer, but you'll still have all these questions about what goes on underground. And so just to me, it's more just about, I don't know, can we not just decide what's going to happen at all four corners and do it at once? Yeah, I don't This piecemeal stuff is a pain in the neck because if you've been down to Portage and Maine to the Richardson Square, you'll see what they've done. It's absolutely spectacular. We have a bird's eye view of it here from our, uh, from our newsroom and it's absolutely spectacular what they've done. But then there's this little, you know, it's it's maybe 150, maybe 200 square feet where this stairwell goes down. That looks like trash. And so now they're going to rip this out potentially. And then they're going to have to come back and piecemeal and, and make that area look just as good as the other multiple thousands of square feet around Richardson Square. So we'll have more on that at 635. And of course, tonight, Blue Bombers back in action. Hosting the BC Lions. 2-0 and versus 2-0. and The Blue Bombers looking to go 1-0 and again this week. Uh, BC Lions are going to have one of their top offensive weapons out of the lineup. Dominic Grimes is out, their top receiver. And Brady Oliveira, the Blue Bombers running back, is a game-time decision. So, you know, that won't exactly equal out the scales of competition, so to speak. Uh, but uh, it will make things a little bit more interesting if Brady Oliveira can't go tonight, although I'm a huge fan of Johnny Augustine. I think the running game will be just fine if uh, Brady can't go tonight.
As uh, Sarah McCarthy was telling you about, the stairwell on the northeast corner of Portage and Main might not be around for much longer. Yes, yeah, so for those of us who might be ge- geographically challenged, that's the corner of Portage and Main, which includes the Richardson Building and a bit further east, the Fairmont Hotel. Each of the four corners of the intersection have stairwells which separate, which are separate from the buildings at each corner and are open, Loren, 24 hours a day. Yeah, and those stairwells are necessary because, of course, stating the obvious here, you can't cross at street level, so you need the stairwells to be able to either go down and access the underground if you want to shop or eat down there or just simply get across the street rather than having to go uh, north or south to try to find intersections that are on opposite sides of the intersection. And so that stairwell that you mentioned uh, near the Richardson building, the city is now looking to remove it. And Councillor Shirley Rollins says many people already use the Richardson building access due to the condition of the stairs anyway. To, it's a key access, and it's a it's an important access for women because nobody wants to go down that stairwell. It's too stinky. It's often urine scented. Um, it's time has come, and it's no longer an accessible way down. So part of the issue with closing any one of these four stairwells is that the only access to the underground concourse is through privately owned buildings, which aren't necessarily open 24 hours a day. And that would be if all these uh, accesses were closed, of course. That would be a limitation. With that in mind, Roland says the city is looking into an access agreement with the Richardson building to make sure that people can still get to the underground on that corner. The report will be discussed at City Hall next week, but I don't know if that access agreement will mean 24-hour access for people that want to use that corner to get into the concourse to cross Portage and Maine or not, because I, I, I would suspect that there's no way that's going to be a 24-hour situation to, to be allowed into the concourse of the Richardson building. But maybe I'm wrong. You could still cross the street at Lombard and then use the access on the corner, southeast corner. I mean, it's not that far away to get cross there and use that stairwell if that's what you really want to do. I just think we're at the situation where I swear if I have to comb through one more Portage Main report to figure out what's happening next, it's just going to, it's just so tedious and it's just one little thing at a time and I get you don't want to shut them all down at once but it would be nice if we agreed that this year we're taking care of the stairwells and they're all you know going to each take a couple months to however long it takes to do that and then we know they're all done because there'll be another report next year for the southeast corner and then the south ah, it just it gets frustrating and I I don't I, if I was a long-term counselor at City Hall I would shut my eyes and scream every time I heard Portage and Maine. <laughs> Have you used these Brett cuz I I can I I think I've maybe used the one at the Richardson Plaza the last time I probably used it was the day that they announced the Heritage Classic and they had actually set up a stage above that area and the Jets had a big media conference or lots of fans down there. That might have been the last time and that might have even have been blocked off. So who knows the last time that I used that stairwell, any one of the four. Yeah, I haven't used the the one in question, the one by the Richardson building. I wouldn't even I don't even know where the one is across the street at the southwest corner. Um, <laughs> and we work right next door. I have no idea where it is, but I have used the one right outside our building at 201 Portage. Uh, because I was getting ready to go home and I walked outside and thought I would walk outside all the way and <laughs> it was windy. I said, nope. And I decided to go into the stairwell to access the concourse. And that was the one time I did it because the same thing. It stunk like urine and uh, never again. One of our listeners just saying, 
we'd have to double check on this. Is this right? The Portage and Main accesses are not open 24 hours a day. They're open from 6 a.m. till 10.30 p.m. Well, they did. Do, there were changes in COVID to the, to the access points there for some reason, I think. And I don't know if that's come back. And maybe they aren't ever open 24 hours a day. 10.30 is fairly reasonable. I don't know. I'll run down and check. Not right now. <laughs> Can I jump in here? I actually I use that stairwell almost every day. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I catch the bus at uh, Main and McDermott. It's just the, the bus stop that I prefer. And uh, there was a Saturday. I was doing a bomber game here, and I think uh, it was an afternoon game. So I left here at about probably like 6, 37 p.m. And yeah, that access was closed. So I could not uh, uh, use that stairwell. It was not 24-7. I know that for a fact. How did you get out then? I had to go back back through uh, 201 Porridge, and I had to cross uh, Porridge and Main uh, in front of our building here and um, just caught the bus on Portage. So what, so, you you exit 201, I, you typically would, ex- like, let's say after work today, you'll walk out the building at 201 Portage, and then you'll use the stairwell right beside it to then go across no, the I street? No, I go down uh, in our concourse. So I take the escalators that are down in our lobby okay. down to the concourse. I go to... The roundabout, whatever you want to call it, Porridge and Main, but I head towards uh, the Richardson building, and okay. I take those staircases are right on the right. And yes, they do smell very bad. You make day. a great point. I'm like, as, as a car person, as a tragic car person who doesn't often take transit, there would be so many people who would come downtown to work, you know, not necessarily even in just these four buildings on the corner, but downtown and rely on the access at that corner to cross the street to take the bus home. Yeah. I, I never even thought of that. Yeah, no, it's uh, I I don't see why we couldn't just shut them all down at once, or or like why or what's the alternative? I guess would it be to just repair it or to clean it up? Like, but even that, how do you keep it clean? How do you maintain it? How do you prevent? You know, we 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 made the references to the smells in there. How do you prevent that from happening? You can't. Yeah. How can these things be? This I'm shocked. By this, that they are closed. I'm going right now all. to look. Uh, Loren's on her way down. She's Adam getting- says <laughs> Portage and Main access closes at 10 p.m. The one on the south side in front of the old Bank of Montreal. Okay. So, I don't get this. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. In a moment, we're going to tell you how you can win yourself some tickets for tonight's Bomber game. Just a heads up, Loren is likely making her way back now. She just ran downstairs to see if the stairwell right outside her building at 201 Portage is open. We're guessing it should be because what are the... Uh, we now have confirmed the hours at which these those stairwells at the corners of Portage and Main are open, Greg? Yeah, I just got a message from one of our city councillors, Jeff Perwati, says, yep, during COVID, they decided to close it between 6.30 a.m. and 10.30 p.m. daily, and there's no plans, there are no plans to change that Okay, so at this point. So, you, so for it's closed for eight hours a day. The mandatory way you have to cross that street is closed a third of the time. Is this not acknowledgement enough that this does not work? And that if it's not safe, if you can't manage the infrastructure that was designed, created and built to allow you to cross the street is uh, is closed. I'll reiterate a third of the time. Does that is that not enough for everybody to acknowledge that this doesn't work? Anyway, this is infuriating, actually. (laughs) Feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. We'd love your feedback on that. We're also going to invite you now to join the discussion we are about to have. And this has to do with something that 
happened to me yesterday in my apartment. I have central air in my apartment, and it's just it's a it's a unit in the wall of my living room, and there's like a metal sort of cover uh, that you know they pop open, and it, whenever they need to do some work or check something, and there's the filter vent is underneath, and it uh, was rattling, started rattling a couple of days ago, just a little rattle, but enough that it's been driving me bonkers because uh, I can't see what's rattling. I can't, unless, unless I pry it open. So I was just, you know, I, I'd sort of give the the metal cover a bit of a bonk to try to stop it, or I'd lean on it. And every time I would lean on it or, or lean on the wall, it would stop. And then as soon as I take that pressure off, the rattle continues. So yesterday I was just sort of, you know, just giving like little light taps here and there. And I honestly, I just like, like that, nothing hard. The wall just above the the cover, and I cracked the wall. Oh, no. <laughs> Damaged the drywall. Way to go, Fonzie. Yes. It didn't even work. <laughs> so, and it's still rattling. So, didn't fix the rattle, broke the wall. So, we want to ask you about a time that you tried to fix something and made it 10 times worse. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win bomber tickets for tonight. Sarah McCarthy in the news booth. Why don't we start with you? Yeah, mine has to do with something you may actually need to repair the crack in your wall now, Brett. It was um, when I was moving out of my last apartment where I last lived, you do all the things. You patch the holes where you hanged your art, or at least that's what you're supposed to do, according to my landlord at the time. And uh, so I got the little kit and whatnot, and I actually made it worse somehow, clearing up the holes with that little like knife, the thing that you spread the stuff with. I think I like dented it in even more. And so I just left a note. So sorry. And this is why I don't fix things. <laughs> so don't do what I did. So did they take it that. off your damage deposit then? Nothing was really said. This was like during like the early stages of COVID. Everything was crazy when I was moving out. So I don't think they even really looked or noticed. So you got your damage deposit yeah, now? I got okay, it back. You can come so clean now. It's, it's good. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about you, Poitras? Oh, we got to turn your mic on. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, well, I was trying to. Oh, God, this is humiliating. Um, like, I'm putting up at, at my new place, uh, there was some existing uh, uh, shelves in in one of the sort of the storage room, and we were turning it into a closet for my wife. And, you know, it's like they're a little wobbly, they're a little off. There's like, it looked like that these shelves were put up with three different, like, systems and brackets and stuff like that. So it was all, you know, thrown together shabby. So I said, listen, I'm going to, I think I can accomplish something like this. I can fix it. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't fix it at all. It was a complete disaster and it was 12 hours. I would say all in all over the course of a week, me fiddling with this, getting increasingly more and more frustrated and just becoming a very, very ugly version of myself, (laughs) Uh, walking to home Depot, Getting pieces, they don't work. Uh, you know, ha- having to cut a board to extend this thing, that's not working. It's not going into the. It just was a complete nightmare. It was so bad. Like I, I just, I now I can't do stuff like that. I just can't. I could learn probably, but I, you know, I, for like once in a while, every now and then something like that comes up. Maybe when I become a homeowner, it'll be more common. But you know, for, as of right now, it's just I just can't do it. So has it been repaired? To this point, have you did you yeah, pick I up got the it. phone? Oh, no, you got no, it. You I, I did, did it. I did it. Yeah, it just was not worth the effort. <laughs> so this dovetails into one of the great slogans of all time. There are several. I've been googling, trying to figure out which Winnipeg 
plumber uses this slogan, but it's used all over, apparently. And the slogan is, we repair what your husband fixed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's outstanding because how often do you try and fix and you make it a hundred times worse? Totally. I was telling Brett about the time that I stopped in at uh, my apartment building in Minnedosa back in the day. All I had to do was install a toilet paper holder. I left my kids and Jackie in the car. I said, I'll be seven minutes. Mm. It was an hour. I ended up putting a hole in the drywall. I had to repair the hole in the drywall. Mm-hmm. I had to keep moving. I had I'd found the studs, and and so th- those uh, that side was fine. But the, the drywall, for whatever reason, would do- not cooperate with me. So I ended up having to put in a brace in behind. It was surgery versus putting a Band-Aid on top. It was it was the worst experience ever. And, and like, I've done a lot of yeah. handyman stuff. This was by by far the worst experience I ever had. And the had. clock was ticking because you got the kids and the wife exactly. in the car. Exactly. Trying to get home. It's yeah. Sunday night. We'd been at Clear Lake. We're trying to get home oh. at a decent hour. You know, night is falling. <laughs> it's just bad. Forte, what about you? Well, I have this sign in my bathroom that uh, hangs right above the toilet. It says, uh, home is where you poop most comfortably. (laughs) It's it's such a true sign. Well, when I was trying to hang it, number one, I didn't want to, you know, put a nail into the wall because, like, Mm -hmm. I rent my place, so I didn't want to cause any damage. So I used those sticky things you stick to the back. Command strips? That's it. I was trying to think, yes, the command strips, where, you know, it doesn't ruin your wall. You just peel it off. And so I was trying to hang it, and I was trying to get perfect, and it was a little slanted. Like, I didn't put it, like, hard on the wall. I just put it on the wall and I was like, hey, I, I think it needs to be a little bit higher and it's a little tilted. So I'm trying to fix it. So I pulled the picture or uh, the sign off the wall and it just took a huge strip of paint off it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we're not putting this any higher. So I put on some more command strips and I just covered up where I ripped the paint off. So when I move out, there's going to be a uh, good chunk of paint that's uh, <laughs> ripped off behind the sign. Just leave the sign. Just leave it yeah. when you move out. I think I might have to. Yeah. <laughs> Those command strips are miraculous little things, but indeed, if, you do, if you're not mm-hmm. careful when you remove them, it could be a serious problem. Cam, maybe uh, you and I could go on a, we could start a new TV show called Canada's Worst Handyman. Is that a thing? That was, that a, was show. a show. That was a show? Yeah, yeah. that was a show. I love that What was that first, show. the worst driver or the worst handyman? Uh, worst driver. The worst driver was, but it was the same, it was Andrew Young husband. He did, he did both of them. Like he was, I, I actually talked to him about that when I was on the show and I said, um, I was talking to him and I said, you know, like, man, I loved Canada's worst handyman. I love that show too. And, and he was like, oh, I, I love that show, but I, we, we just couldn't do it anymore. It was just, it, but it was like, it was like when I, when I wanted Canada's worst driver, I know we're kind of going on a different, different thing here, but when you, when you're kind of in the, in, in the position of getting on the show, you kind of play it up a bit. You're trying to get on it. But once you, once you actually get to like where you're supposed to go, like the people that I was on the show with in season 11 it was shocking how bad they were. Like they were really, really that bad. And when it came to the handyman show, he was saying the same thing. It was like, you know, when you're trying to get on the show, you're kind of showcasing a little bit of what you can't do to kind of create a good character to get on. But once you're there, like they, they were, they were that inept, like, but it was like, they had a guy showing them the instructions and they just couldn't follow them. I wouldn't be able to follow them. I'm terrible. I'm pretty sure my uh, poor handy skills have, have uh, certainly damaged the, my relationships in the past, like I could see the look of dis, like not disgust, but disappointment. Like, wow, he's really bad at this. 
He's like, I need someone who's handy around the place. And I, that was not me. Instructions are only useful until you realize you've done it wrong. That's the only time you ever use instructions. You never <laughs> use them from the beginning. And, and secondly, I always say you want to test a relationship, go and buy the biggest piece of Ikea furniture you can use in your home. And if you and your partner can successfully put it together, stay with that person forever. He says his pain is something he wouldn't wish on any family, but he's speaking out repeatedly in hopes of saving someone from going through what he's going through. So earlier this year, Joseph Forey's son Harlan died from an overdose. The 31-year-old was out with his friends in the paw when he was found unresponsive. And police say the group had ingested drugs, possibly ecstasy, and those drugs were also laced with opioid, laced with fentanyl. This weekend, Joseph is hoping Manitobans gather with him for a walk to raise awareness about fentanyl poisoning. And we're joined now by Joseph Forey. Good morning, Joseph. Oh, good morning. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk about this. I know it hasn't been easy, and, and I know a lot of the focus is often on how someone died, in this case, how your son died. But before we get into that and what you'd like the community to consider, can you just tell us a bit about Harlan? Oh, uh, well, Harlan was an amazing young man and uh, Hardin wasn't an addict. Um, he didn't have any addictive issues. Uh, he was a master roofer, 10 years with one company, a dedicated, loyal employee, uh, living with his autistic brother, you know, taking on that role uh, to help support him and, and guide him through life as I was getting older. And his mother had passed a couple years ago. Um, so it was really, really a shock when I got the call that, uh, when his sister called me and that he was rushed to the hospital because he had overdosed and because Harden didn't do drugs. And so it was, it was quite the shock. Uh, it's been, it's been a roller coaster the past couple of months. And, and that was one of the reasons, you know, that we decided to go public because it was such a massive event up in Northern Manitoba that, that weekend, you know, with up to 13, I heard overdosed OD'd on this particular drug. <clears throat> It was a tainted drug. It wasn't what they were expecting to get. And when we look at the word overdose, you know, I, I thought, well, that doesn't sound right for my son. My son was poisoned. You know, he was given something that contained fentanyl and he died of fentanyl poisoning. But when I started looking at it that way, then I, I realized that nobody was talking about fentanyl poisoning. You know, we were, we were kind of embracing it in the word overdose. And I wanted to change the language around that. Um, shortly after my son passed, the numbers came out from last year, and there was over one a day. And given my son's situation, it, it, those numbers didn't really tell us a, a clear picture of, of what was happening in our communities. You know, how many of those were one and done? How many of those were trying something for the first time? Um, how many, you know, were expecting to get something and got something totally different? So I wanted to, uh, I talked with my family, I talked with my wife and, and, you know, my son's death had to account for something given the spirit of who he was. And we started this awareness and hoping to raise awareness in fentanyl and, and target a group of, the, of people that weren't suffering addiction or weren't afflicted by addiction that were out maybe having a good time. Because at this point now, today, recreational drug use is just not safe. Joseph, first of all, uh... 
heartfelt condolences on the passing of your son. And, you know, this has to rank as one of my top three concerns as a parent. You try and talk to your kids about these things. And I think most parents would have this same feeling. You talk to your kids about doing what they're supposed to do and, and, and you understand that they may go down one path or the other. And you really highlighted something here. You might try something once, you know, for the very first time, you may not get a second chance because you don't necessarily know what you're getting. Do we know how big a problem that is overall as you've been spending some time looking into this? Well, it's, it's just about in everything I had, I've had a, an outpour of, of uh, responses uh, through my Facebook. I, I'm public, so anybody can pretty much message me. And, and, and the stories from other parents who have started sharing um, the stories of their loved ones who they lost to fentanyl and, and under the same scenario, and, and the numbers were, were quite staggering. And, you know, when we use the word overdose, it, it and, and, and a lot of parents stress this, it, it brought, like, shame and embarrassment and, you know, um, guilt you know because we, we couldn't protect our children but when when somebody is not expecting to get something and they die i mean it's it's a recreational drug it it it's not meant you know it's not an opioid you don't expect that in there and so this was the only thing that i felt that i could do was to bring awareness to that particular demographic of youth that are out there especially now that grad season is upon us uh the party season is upon us to just just be careful out there um, you know, my son would always say, no, thanks, I'm good. You know, I was talking with his other coworkers and his boss, and whenever t- recreational drugs appeared, he would always say, no, thanks, I'm good. I don't know what happened that night to make him change his mind. Maybe he had one beer too many. Maybe his inhibitions were lowered. Maybe he was peer pressured. I could drive myself crazy trying to think what happened that night. But, but that night, he didn't say, no, thanks, I'm good. He decided to try it, and it killed him. So this is the, the the name of the campaign. It's it's no thanks. I'm good. You know, fentanyl poisoning isn't everything. Just just stay safe, stay alive. You know. So we're hoping that we can we can get that message out there to our youth that whenever presented with a recreational drug or they're thinking about trying something for the first time, that you know Harlan's words can come to the forefront and you know, just say no thanks. I'm good. Joseph, before we let you go, uh, why don't you tell us what's happening this weekend on Sunday? Uh, this weekend, um, with the support of the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs and MKO, um, we organized to have a walk to bring awareness. At the, uh, we'll be gathering at 12 noon at the Odina Center uh, at the Forks and then walking to a rally at the Ledge and uh, doing some speeches and to tell the stories of our loved ones and just to try and create some change and some awareness that fentanyl is out there. It's lurking in the street. It's lurking in just about every drug you can imagine. And just to be careful and when come across anything, you know, that you want to try, just remember, you are loved. Just say, no, thanks. I'm good. And, and go home the next day. Joseph Forey, thank you very much for your time, sir. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
Mackling McGarry McNabb talking about the stairwell at the outside the Richardson building. Looks like they're uh, potentially going to shut it down. And Loren, status report, you visited all four of the public access stairwells at Portage in Maine. What do you got? Well, I wanted to see what was going on because they're closing the stairwell in parts for, to provide upgrades above and below ground. And eventually maybe we might see all four closed. But then that means how do you cross Portage Maine or do they keep some of them open? Well, you can't use them, those stairwells, to access Portage Maine underground after 10.30 every single night. They close between 10.30 p.m. and 6.30 a.m. So all those off hours, you can't use them. And then they talked about the fact that, you know, that one outside Richardson is kind of gross and stinky. Well, three of the four of them aren't just like urine scented. It feels like there's urine soaked, like soaked in urine. They're disgusting. And two of them, I physically ran as fast as I could up them because I was quite frankly, like didn't feel comfortable. One has such a bad blind spot on the south uh, east corner that I was genuinely kind of concerned for safety. So they all suck and something needs to be done about them. It's not working. Yeah, they're like bunkers. Basically, they're very rudimentary. They are there basically because they need to be. But if these things are closed for eight hours out of every day, I think it's just time to admit that this whole idea of this intersection being closed, it just doesn't work. Just doesn't work. Closed a a third of the time. The way that you've been told and dictated to that this is how you have to cross Portage and Maine is closed eight hours out of every 24 I, I think this is the gig is up as far as I'm concerned. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. As we listen to one of my favorite songs ever, thank you, Mr. Forte. Gotta get away by the offspring. And we switch gears to remind you how you can win yourself some tickets for tonight's bomber game. Versus the BC Lions at IG Field. And we're asking you to tell us about a time you tried to fix something and you just made it worse. Like Roma, who had a bit of a situation in the shower. She re-crocked and re-grouted the wall in the bathroom shower. But it wasn't sealed well enough. And the wall got soaked with every shower. About a month later, the entire wall collapsed on me oh when boy. I was, in fact, having a shower, says Roma. Oh, wow. <laughs> I asked Roma if it hurt. And she said, no, but it sure scared me. I well, bet. no kidding. Yeah. It'd that be would... like a serpentine in your toilet bowl or, you know. <laughs> serpentine? <laughs> you know, like a snake. Did you say snake? <laughs> yeah, I don't like say snake. I don't know what. A serpent. A serpent in your, <laughs> you know, though, like. I bet you every person out there has at least one time thought about that, the serpentine in the toilet bowl. Yeah. yeah. I think the Arizona Diamondbacks use that as their uh, third, on their third jersey. That's the name they put on their jersey is serpentines. Well, serpentines? Like, serpentine? Isn't it just serpent? Uh, no, serpentine. Look it up. I think it's serpentine. Okay. I think it is. I think you're right. I, uh, I, I don't know. I'm right. <laughs> this would be one time where I, where I might be in fact correct. <laughs> um... That reminds me, actually, of a time I was golfing with uh, Jim Toth and uh, some of our old colleagues. We were at Minnewasta and Morden, and a couple of garter snakes were snaking their way across the 14th fairway. And Jim, had, I think his reaction was, there is a serpent! There is a serpent on this golf course! This, like, little foot-long, tiny garter snake. Shut it down! But here's another example from a listener uh, who tried to fix something and made it worse. Says, we were adding new faucets to the kitchen and bathroom sinks in my house. First one kitchen, piece cake. Bathroom sink next. Well, 
boyfriend decided to remove the sink from the pedestal due to awkward space. No problem. Next to his tapping the faucet to loosen it. Well, he broke the entire sink. <laughs> uh, lovely, excessively large shell-shaped sink. I was actually so thrilled by the accident. He was so upset with himself until I grabbed the hammer to wreck it more. <laughs> the faucet looks very nice with the new sink unit, which includes a cabinet for storage. Two-hour project equals three weekends. Yeah. It, I feel like there's a lot of uh, bathroom renos going on because Jeff said several years ago my toilet had some permanent rust looking stains on it. All the scrubbing in the world wouldn't get them off, so I decided to try some hot water by boiling the kettle and pouring it into the bowl. Imagine my shock when the toilet bowl split into two pieces and the water just spilled all over the floor. Needless to say, I had a hard time explaining that one to the landlord. Yeah. Whoa. Why yeah. would that happen? Uh, just from like, like the porcelain, porcelain. It's one of those things my father would say. I know why. It's one of those things. Uh, I think just the porcelain maybe just doesn't like the really, really hot water. I, I think I've read that somewhere, like to fight up clog toilet don't ever pour hot water anyway it's I true ha- i just I, looked that up yeah. porcelain is just it's not resistant to sudden heating there you go that's that's the issue uh and rust it doesn't like rust either i tried to change on a saturday morning just the toilet seat uh, at our house uh, very early in our relationship uh with jackie and i think the boys were born they may have not been and uh, i cracked the toilet bowl trying to take off the toilet seat because the the nuts and bolts had, had all rusted together and I was re- reefing on it and I actually broke the toilet bowl. So, yeah, toilet seat. I got a brand new toilet seat as well as a brand new toilet. <laughs> so it was, you know, an extra busy weekend. <laughs> I, um, <sighs> yeah, well, anytime I were to tr- would try to fix something. The one time I think I actually successfully did something and I was surprised that I, I figured this out is the... The toilet bowl or the toilet wouldn't stop running. Like it just, it was, yeah. it was running. So it had to replace that. The and I still can't, Yeah, I still can't. Well, like when, when you look in, inside the, 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 the inner workings of the toilet, it still blows me away that this is how it works. It's just like a, this, there's this floaty thing and a flap and it looks like something that probably was invented how 200 years ago or whatever. Uh, uh, nothing's changed, I think, yeah. in them. Thomas I mean, I know Crapper you get the, was a brilliant guy. You can get the different like um, lids that open automatically, uh-huh. and some of them have the covers that come out, like in the airports Built in and a bidet. things like that. But mm-hmm. fundamentally, Heated. the back side of that t- chair, yeah, <laughs> the throne <laughs> has uh, stayed the same. But I had to replace that, and I figured I actually figured it out. I was really Good proud of you. myself. But it's the one thing that I was successful it, at. Is that pre YouTube? Like, did you did, or did you just figure it out uh, on your own, or did you have to look it up somewhere? I must have looked it up. At least, at least instructions. You did pretty good. I was, I, yeah. I gave myself a little pat on the back well for that done. because normally when I try to do things, I, I am like I had to. Roma talked about recaulking. I had to recaulk the the sealant around on our hot tub. We mm-hmm. had a hot tub in our basement. Which, by the way, don't put a like we bought. That was one of the reasons we bought the house. What a nightmare and what a pain to maintain. But it was. I kept finding these little puddles of water on the floor and I couldn't figure out where they were coming from. So it was just the steam from the hot tub was, was going up to the lid of the tub and then it like was dripping back down and eventually just rotted the the caulking. So I had to redo that, but I'd never done, I'd, I'd never held a caulking gun. So I went to Walmart, bought some stuff, came back and I'm trying to, to 
you know, squeeze the stuff out. Like, <laughs> and, it's, and like, it's not coming out. <laughs> and cut the, the, nip, no. the nipple off. So then, so eventually it le- leaked out all over. Oh, from the back. Oh, what from a the mess. <laughs> so dumb. I had to go it's back to Walmart d- and buy yeah. some more cock. It's not dumb. I would love to have like a, a Home Depot type person or a local hardware store phone us with the questions that they get asked. Because you walk in there. I went to the hardware store. My, I, I can't even remember it to this day. My husband was fi- fixing the step on the deck. Yes. And said, Can, if you're going to the store, I got this new bike. So I like to bike and get things and put it in the basket. And I drive around in my jaunty bike, you know, yeah. tipping my hat to people. So I was like, I mean, I'll go to the hardware store. I'll take the bike. And he said, Can you go get? And I can't remember what it Because by the time I got to the store, I'd forgotten. And of course, I didn't bring my phone. And I walked in. And I was like, Hey, I'm looking for, I want to say a Richardson 4. <laughs> <laughs> like that's it and he's like what are you, wait, uh, could you be more specific I was like ooh he's working with wood it's for our deck and he's like come with me and he's like I think what he needs and he points to these four different things and I stood there and I was like he's like there isn't a four it might have been a two or a three and I was like no it, that's the only thing I remember is four <laughs> Was it a screw? I, was yeah, it? Sort of screw. Robertson screw? <laughs> Robertson, that's a what number it was. four. It was, it was a six two, or an I eight. Or... I got home, it was all wrong. And I just, I actually, <laughs> I, actually, I came home with nothing. I left. And I just, like, you know what? I just, I'll bike back. I love this bike. I'll be back in a bit. And, uh, I'll go uh, get the real information. Got, <laughs> <laughs> like, so I just, I feel like they must get, you can't feel stupid because oh. there are people like me who walk in every day with two words, like a number and a word. Both were wrong. <laughs> and he still was right. He was right in the end. Sure he was. Of course he was. Those guys are amazing guys and gals at the fix it, you know, at uh, Home Depot or Home Hardware. But like phones and cameras have been a world changer for those folks. Now you can take a picture and you go, I need this thing. You don't have to even know the name. I need this thing because in the past you go, I need the thing that connects to the thing and the that thingamajigger and they'd still figure it out somehow, some way because they're just that good. But God bless them. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, it's the uh, City Connect jerseys for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I guess they're using it Espanol. Serpiente. Yes. So I have to get my hand on one of these jerseys because they're pretty cool. Yvette listener says it has to be serpent because serpentine is a kind of stone or serpentine. And isn't there a serpentine belt in your engine? Like Don't a car engine? Me. That's something I'd ask for at the mechanic. I want. I need a new snake belt. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard my snake belt is broken. Can you help me out? Uh, so the definition of serpentine or serpentine yeah. of or resembling a serpent. And uh, then the second one is subtly wily or tempting. There you go. Winding or turning one way and another. So a snake is a serpent, yes. not a serpentine. Correct. A serpentine. Correct. All right. See, I knew you were right. But the jersey is cool. So I didn't know that was a thing. That, that, yeah, I like that. I it's got sort of a nice Spanish. retro look. <laughs> Full circle. Serpents and toilets, toilet talk, hardware, yep. Yep. serpents. And name your biggest fear, snake in your toilet. <laughs> It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. I'm going to revisit the conversation about the stairwells at the corners of Portage and Maine a bit later this morning. But we did just put up a question. Uh, the, it's a different question than our question of the day at cjob.com. Uh, we have a poll up on Twitter. Do you ever use the stairwells at the corners of Portage and Maine? Options are yes, often, occasionally, never, they're gross and unsafe, or uh, I don't go downtown. So you can cast your vote on Twitter at 680 cjob 
OB. But right now we want to take a look at a story that's captivated the attention of the world, quite frankly. We're still waiting for the latest update on the search for that missing Titan sub. We know they went down to try to see the Titanic wreckage on Sunday and that they had about 96 hours of oxygen left at that time. Yeah, so the details, the facts around that, I think, are well known. That supply would run out at some point this morning, the exact time. Obviously, we have a general idea, Loren, but we don't know for sure. But it led to conversations amongst us and I'm sure amongst a lot of our listeners about even if you were handed a ticket, if you didn't have to pay any money, would you get on that submarine in the first place? I've had conversations, I was just telling you off air, I was talking to my my nephew who's a scuba diver and, and does work underwater at this time of the year and the things that go through his head when he's underwater for a half an hour, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour to do these jobs. So to work underground and to do some of these things besides exploration has been around for an awfully long time and this is dangerous work. Yeah, I hadn't stopped to think about how often subs might be used. Your first thought might be the Navy, right? That they go down for uh, naval reasons. But 50 years ago, uh, Roger Mallison and his colleague, they were laying transatlantic phone cables from a Canadian-made sub when something went horribly wrong for them. So this was their job. They had to get in that sub to do their job. And Global's Redmond Shannon met the man whose story is still the deepest successful sub rescue in history. We were working in severe conditions and things just started going wrong. Roger Mallinson recalls the longest 84 hours of his life. In 1973, he and Roger Chapman were being lifted to the surface in their sub after a shift laying cables on the Atlantic seabed when something went terribly wrong with the tow line. We'd taken four minutes to come up. When we went down, it took us 26 seconds and we hit bottom at 40 mile an hour. And we hit bottom at 1,575 feet down. And we hit like a major road crash. It sparked a huge international rescue effort off the coast of Ireland. The two Rogers almost certain that they were doomed. Keep on praying and don't waste, don't, don't exercise, don't uh, use muscles because that all... All burns oxygen. But fatefully on that mission, Mallinson secretly brought an extra oxygen tank, giving rescuers more time to scramble with small submersibles flown in from Canada and the US. On day four, after numerous failed attempts, teams eventually attached cables to the stricken Pisces 3. And we went from being stunned down to banging and crashing and things were breaking and and they were lifting us by the back end. Bruised and queasy on the surface, they had just 12 minutes of oxygen left before opening the hatch of their North Vancouver-made sub. Mallinson says its sturdy design helped keep them alive. No computer silly bits on it. It was honest and straight and it was very, very well made. Chapman has since passed away. Five decades on from the rescue, Mallinson's thoughts are now with the five men who descended in the Titan, understanding the depth of their plight, perhaps like no one else. Let's hope. Let's hope they are safe. Redmond Shannon, Global News, Troutbeck Bridge, England. 
What a, what a terrifically told story. And, and uh, just uh, keep in mind, it's, it's, there are a lot of things that go on on this planet. The magic uh, that, that craftsmen and uh, those in the trades, the work that they do in order for us to do the things we take for granted is, is overwhelming. And sometimes that stuff is there and you're just like, how did it get there? How did it get there in the first place? Somebody had to dig and or climb into a hole to lay that sewer pipe or that water line by hand in a lot of instances. And I think we just take that for granted. And you think what you know now about the technology and the advances that have been made and you think 50 years ago, are you climbing into a sub when it's, you know, more of the newer technology at the time? And now we've made all these different advances. But I think I take when I heard the story, well, one thing that struck me was the right cable had to get laid on the floor of the ocean. uh, And you forget that. And then you forget the bridges involve people going underwater to do the underwater work when they're being constructed. And you just drive over them and think nothing of it. I I, uh, I was in awe of the story, and I, I, when I went to read more about it, they when they rose to the surface, they shared a sip of lemonade, uh, like that they cracked open a lemonade, and they had that to sort of cheers their, their good fortune that they were rescued. And then the story that I was reading uh, in one of the Scottish newspapers say the men still meet once a year before the other Roger passed away, uh, and then it says, but it has to be said they toast with more than lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I bet. We need you to tell us about a time you tried to fix something and made it worse for a chance to win bomber tickets for tonight's football match. Greg, I see there's one expensive fix here. <laughs> there is. Uh, new listener, Sean. Welcome to the radio family, Sean. Good morning. He says, uh, to save some money, I tried to fix my snowmobile. Secondary clutch. I have no idea what that is, Sean. You can send us a picture if you'd like. And while I was uh, taking the... The clutch off, the bolt broke off, had to call a friend over to pull the snowmobile on the trailer and take it to the dealership. What should have been a $50 fix cost me 500 bucks. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. That's tough, Sean. That's tough. So tell us a story about sometime you tried to fix something and made it worse for a chance to win those tickets. We're going to pick a winner at 915 so we've got uh, one question of the day up at cjob.com. It's about air conditioning. And then we have a different poll question up on our social media, on Twitter and on Instagram. Do you ever use the stairwells at the corners of Portage and Main? So far on Twitter, we got 5% who say yes often. 19% say occasionally. 35% say never. They're gross and unsafe. And 41% say I don't go downtown and uh, gross and unsafe, I think I pulled that basically based on your description, Loren, because you went on a mission this morning and visited all four of them. We're talking about them because City Hall is debating whether or not they will close the st- stairwell just outside the in- Richardson building. So if you don't work downtown, you might not know this, but if you work in any of these four corners and, and try to cross the street or the underground, or you stay at the Fairmont and you want to go to the Jets game, or you're you're going to the ballpark after work and you work on Portage Avenue, you got to cross Portage Avenue somehow. We all know you can't do that at Portage of Maine. They have the underground. So they have these four stairwells that you can use to get down to that underground, cross underneath, and then come back up. They're talking about closing the one at Richardson, and they would figure out a way to maybe give people access to the Richardson building in the off hour so they could get to the underground from that point. But none of these stairwells are open 24 hours a day. That changed in COVID. They closed from 10.30 p.m. to 6 a.m. And so I wanted to see what the deal was with each of them. 
visited all four this morning and I used the word urine soaked, not just scented because yeah. the, the smell is overwhelming in three of the four of them. One of them on the, which bank is that? Not the one in our building, the Royal Bank is decent because it's inside that building. So it, has, it might be better yeah, so it doesn't, for. It doesn't have that public access that the other three corners have. It's it's in a private building. Right. So it does, that one was fine and I felt okay in that one, but the three of them stunk. One of them was really actually dirty, full of litter. And then there was a blind spot in a couple of them where you come around a corner and you feel like you're in this sort of, you're, you're alone in this area. And I ran up those stairs because I was, I just, there was a couple different people around and I didn't feel comfortable and it was five to seven in the morning. And so we just, we're doing it wrong. You could argue we've been doing it wrong for 45 years, but we're doing it wrong. We're not giving people a safe way to cross that intersection. And people are so worried about crossing it and opening it up and it being unsafe because of cars. Well, I, I didn't feel safe in those stairwells. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the answer, like I know what I think the answer is, but I don't want to get into an opening conversation just about those stairwells because they're gross and disgusting and kind of frankly hard to find if you don't know what you're doing down there. Yeah. And so for me, uh, it, it came to our attention this morning that these stairwells are not open 24 hours a day. They're in fact closed eight hours a day. And, and for me, that's sort of the last straw on this conversation. How can you tell me you, you so so option one at Portage in Maine, if you're a pedestrian, the most reasonable option is just to cross like you do at every other intersection in Winnipeg, except for the odd one where you're not allowed to cross because there are turning lights and I don't need all the emails and text messages. But what about this intersection, that intersection? A vast majority, 99.9% of intersections in Winnipeg, you can cross at grade with the aid of a traffic signal. That option is not open at Portage Avenue. They've said you have to go underground. Okay, that's fine. We can debate the merits of that. Yes, no, or otherwise. But when I found out this morning that these underground stairwells into the concourse are not open 24 hours a day, how, how can you deny access of, of, your, of your chosen option for everybody? How can you deny access a third of the day to people that are downtown? They're dangerous 16 hours a day and then they're closed eight hours a day. So this 45 year old experiment in my mind failed from the get go. Although when I was a kid who doesn't love a tunnel, I, I thought it was a great idea. I thought it was tons of fun when I was a kid, practical in a great number of respects. Absolutely. If we're going to keep the concourse and close these public accesses, in the in the in the off hours, fair enough. But then, in my mind, at the very least, and I've been texting with City Councilor Jeff Rawati, he says he's suggested that the at the as a compromise that the intersection be open to pedestrians in those off hours, which oh. would be interesting. Okay, that would be a good experiment too, just to see how that works. So you have way less traffic at that time, fewer cars, fewer people. So that that makes sense to me to have it be in. The reason why it's frustrating is that, you know, one of our listeners is saying, please just go cross the street at the next block. It's basically a hundred meters. From why is it always so the easy for people to for say that? Yeah, you can, you can still cross the street further down. The point was, why do I have to go out of my way? They created this concourse 
to get you to cross the street. Right. That was the, that was the, you know, they know it was about some businesses and getting people to yes. shop and et cetera. But the point was you were supposed to be able to cross underground. And if, if you remove one of those access points, then you've removed the argument that, well, you can cross under underground. I'm, hey, I drive my car here, there and everywhere too. And through Portage and Maine several times a day on certain days. I get it. But why are, are the people that get to, that are driving at 50 kilometers an hour, always okay with the idea of, well, just walk an extra 100 meters or an extra 200 meters. You know, we get frustrated in this city about a, a lane closure for fixing roads that badly need rehabilitation. We all get frustrated about traffic. And uh, and now we even get frustrated about the things that are being done to rectify our horribly terrible roads. And is this so easy to say, well, just walk to the next intersection? That, come on, that's that's not even fair. I want to throw out something else, and I don't want to turn it away from what we're saying. Why is there so much peeing in the stairwell? Like, like I get <laughs> public, this, public washroom access. No, public it, urination is a problem in a lot of places. One of our listeners asked the same thing. I used to live down the street from the Palomino Club, and that was the biggest complaint in our neighborhood, other than the noise after hours when people would leave the club, right? Yahoo, woohoo, this, that, and the other thing, fights, loud vehicles, loud music. Above all those things with public urination down the back lane on Golding Street, you would see it all the time. And if it wasn't urination, it was fornication. So these things happen <laughs> around the city where there are nightclubs, Talk to people that live in Windsor Park and you've got the Windsor Park Inn, and you've yep. got those nightclubs there. People uh, drinking in their cars ahead of going to the bar, like all these things that go on that people don't really think about or don't necessarily think about. And then the, the lack of washroom facilities we've documented and had huge conversations on the station about the lack of access to public washrooms downtown. People need to go. Yeah. And, that's it's just public urination. These are problems all over the world. This isn't brand new. This isn't exclusive to Winnipeg. And I think those stairwells to come all the way back to it, Loren, are are popular because at least they can give you potentially a little bit of a sense of privacy when when you're doing that. Not condoning it, just saying why it might be happening that way. Feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. And again, we've put that poll question up on both Twitter at 680CJOB and on Instagram. Uh, do you ever use the stairwells in Portage and Maine? And then before we get out here, we'll check traffic and weather in a minute. But the the argument, I just wanted to, because we had it a couple of times today too, that if we open that intersection, it'll be unsafe to pedestrians. Why is Portage and Maine the only intersection in Winnipeg where drivers are suddenly going to just start mowing down pedestrians en masse? Like, I don't understand that argument. Like, we're just going to, it's this sort of vacuum where we suddenly forget how to drive. You ever crossed at the Sterling Lion Parkway, right, you know, with Ikea? Yeah. There's way fewer pedestrians there. I understand that there'd be far more at Portage of Maine, but I think that's almost eight lanes of traffic. It's at least six, is it, it feels, not? It's like a football field. Yeah, and the cars and the traffic signals are set up to account for the fact that there might be one person in the course of a day who cross that right. street the way they do. So you're waiting whether there's pedestrians at those intersections or not because the, the, the signals are set up for 
the for, possibility for into account there might be pedestrians Lajemodier and, and Regent which is I think the busiest intersection in the city yep. and you made a great point Brett in two directions people are approaching that intersection at 70 kilometers an hour and we know if the speed limit is 70 you know that there are some people who are driving way beyond that it is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We've got tickets to give away for that Bomber game, and we're asking you to tell us about a time you tried to fix something and made it worse, like when yesterday I was trying to just like tap on the wall to get rid of the rattle inside my AC, and I cracked the wall. <laughs> I, I swear, I, I know I like to joke about Brett's smash, but I really was not trying to smash. Um, and I so I referenced earlier how I... If there, I should be on Canada's worst handyman. I am not a handy person. And Richard, one of our runners up, Richard J, says, I'm with you. I am not handy. The bane of my existence are drippy taps. My bathroom tap has had a leak forever. I was told it's a simple repair. Just change the cartridge and the knob. <laughs> so I remove the knob, get the cartridge out, turn the water back on to be proud of my household accomplishment. As I'm walking back towards the bathroom from turning the water on, I can hear water pressure building and leaking, but it doesn't sound like the tap leaking. It sounds like pressure. I hadn't secured the tap back on properly, and it sent the cartridge shooting out into the bathroom wall and water spraying at full pressure from the knob. I stood and stared in amazement for a couple of seconds, even though it felt like a minute, and then I ran and turned the water back off. Never again. I've just decided one of my kids is going to become a plumber. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, like... Come on. All of these stories, 80% of them involve water disasters and plumbing disasters. So uh, going to be flipping a coin this afternoon. Which one's going to become a plumber? <laughs> I just had my dad fix this problem at our house on the weekend. Oh, for yeah? two days, it's been bliss Cartridges? because it was quiet, like no dripping. And then last night, just all of a sudden, it, now it's faster. Drip, 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 drip. And it's it drove me like I was I was yelling like door and I I'm the closest to the door but like somebody shut that door because like cannot sleep with that Just turn noise. up the radio oh awful this is uh, always the, the one of the hardest it's the, one of the most fun parts of our show but it's always tough because we got to pick a winner and it's this was really hard today so our runner up Greg is Merlin. Having just moved into my first house that my father and I built together, bravo, by the way, and having pennies left in our savings after building it, there were still a few things to complete. Our flat black fireplace had taken a beating from drywall, mud, and other construction materials, and I was told by a fireplace company that you simply taped off the fireplace with some newspaper and used a spray uh, paint uh, to paint over the marks. Well... I went the extra mile and taped off far more than the experts suggested and even turned off the furnace there so there would be no air movement. I proceeded to spray and after a few minutes, it looked like it had been mission accomplished. Well, I turned around and said to my wife, hmm, I wonder why there is a bright ring on our new rug a few feet back from the fireplace and then it hit me. The ring wasn't bright. It was where the masking tape had been lying, and it was the rest of the carpet that was gray. <laughs> the spray had floated over 10 feet, even onto our kitchen floor. There was no saving the rug. Had to make my first insurance claim the first week we lived in the new house. That was 30 years ago. I still cringe when telling or, in this case, texting the story. Oh, Merlin, that is tough. Great story, Merlin. Sorry, we, don't, we can't give everybody tickets, but... Jeff Loren gets the tickets today.
Every year I spray my yard for weeds and I take pride in my yard. I've spent money by topsoil, leveling the yard, taking care of it. I tried to keep the grass as green as possible. So last week I went to spray the weeds. And after finishing spraying the weeds, I started to notice a few days later, yeah, the weeds were dying. But then two days after that, I noticed my grass was dying and I'm sitting wondering what I did wrong. I realized when I was spraying the weeds, I grabbed the wrong chemical jug. I sprayed an acre of my yard, and it is now completely brown. Now I have to start all over with soil and reseeding. And a huge yard, too, Jeff. What a pain. Jeff, so sorry. I hope maybe Ron Paul Garden Center can help you out with that. But at the very least, Jeff, we got bomber tickets for you for tonight's game against the BC Lions. What's that? That feels pretty green. (laughs) Hope it doesn't make you too sad, Jeff. (laughs) It is, of course, Blue Bomber Game Day. BC Lions in town to play the blue and gold. Both teams might be undefeated and sitting atop the West standings, but... Let's be honest. These two teams are miles apart in so many ways. So the Lions have six Grey Cups versus Winnipeg's 12. That's half. And to draw more than 30,000 fans, they had to enlist the help recently of LL Cool J, Greg. (laughs) And in the days of Roy DeWalt and Swerve and Mervyn Fernandez, the Lions were the bane of the existence of Blue Bomber fans, myself included. Tonight, I expect kitty cats, not lions. (laughs) As the Blue Bombers tear up the CFL to begin the season, the Winnipeg Jets may be on the verge of tearing up their roster. Cam Poitras of Jets at noon and part of our Blue Bomber coverage team joins us now. Cam, uh, you and I spend a lot of time talking about both these things <laughs> yeah. on and off the air yes. on the Blue Bomber podcast. Uh, we'll talk Jets in a minute. 42 but- minutes by my count this morning on this topic. <laughs> Is that all? Well, I was thinking like, man, we must be driving Loren <laughs> At one nuts. point, I, I almost said, okay, I get it enough. And she then there would be a pause and I think, okay, the, the, the <laughs> Jets just- talk is over and I'd take my like I was faking wearing headphones just so I didn't have to listen to that I knew, much. I knew all of it <laughs> I was so on to you Loran it was not even funny why do you think I work in the studio in the morning instead of the newsroom <laughs> <laughs> well let's bring some of that discussion yeah. on the air okay Poitras yeah. so Brady Oliveira missed of missed some of last week's uh, Blue Bomber win in Saskatchewan it's never optimal to see your top running back on the shelf yeah. but may I boldly suggest Johnny Augustine will be an able-bodied replacement should yes. Brady be unable to go tonight. Well, the key to all this, uh, Greg and, and, and Brett and Lorena, is, is is the situation about the offensive line. They have been by far, and there's this new these new metrics like they've they've done away with like top performers of the week. And I don't know how I feel about it because I I kind of like that, but they've kind of turned it into this BF PFF. Uh, uh, like stat system or something. I don't know. I don't think anybody really understands. I certainly don't. But it's well, the one good thing about it is it's highlighting players that would never be highlighted in in sort of performance ba- uh, you know based things. So, but the offensive line and offensive linemen are now being rated. And Jamarcus Hardrick uh, ha- has been noted on both uh, both uh, both weeks so far, week one and week two. Uh, Jeff Gray, uh, uh, Chris Kolonkowski have have also been highlighted as well. Um, uh, so the offensive line has been lights out over the first two games here. Now the BC lines, they've been pretty good. Now I understand they were going up against the Edmonton Elks who are a, was 
woeful. I don't know if you caught any of that game, but it was terrible. They they stink. They, well, big, they, they, got, they got some big trouble. They, they got were, exactly zero points. And when you score zero points in the CFL, typically means you're not very good. 47 years has taken them for that situation. So anyways, but I, I think the situation, I think I've always liked Johnny Augustine. I think there's been some times where I, I don't think he's lived up to his his potential, but you've seen flashes of it. And I and I think the situation is if Brady Oliveira, and they have to make a decision, uh, uh, it used to be an hour. Now it's a half hour before game time. Uh, Brady Oliveira obviously is, is the optimum guy you want there, but I think behind this offensive line and how they've been playing so far, I think Johnny Augustine will do a fantastic job uh, in a backup position. Okay, so we wanted to talk football, but because we did talk so much hockey between the hours of 5 and 5.42 a.m. this morning. We we can increase it always. I I think I know the answer to the question, but I don't know know if you guys even got to the answer. If you don't know it by now, after listening to what you listened to this morning, you may never know until things actually, until the shoes drop. We're working on important stuff, Greg and I. Hey. It's what people are talking about. And I actually have to say, I was in the car with my kid yesterday and he was making predictions on jets and trades. And then I said, well, what do do you think about Hellebuck? And it just stopped him in his tracks because I think, you know, there's that hope that of all the people we would just cling to, it would be Connor Hellebuck, our goalie. So what's the latest on him? Well, I, I can I can go by what's being reported uh, by TSN Insider as well as the athletic uh, writer Pierre LeBron. He's kind of got the pulse on the situation with Hellebuck right now. Um, there's been talk between uh, the Devils and the Winnipeg Jets. The Devils are a team that Hellebuck is interested in. The Devils are interested in him. But considering the situation that they're in, uh, the Devils have been very, very careful with their cap space over the last number of years because they understood that they had to sign a lot of these young guys. Jesper Bratt just signed a, a good contract for them. They're going to be working on they're working on one probably as we speak with with Timo Meyer, and they have some other young guys that eventually they're going to have to wrap up. They have a long list of RFAs. So when it comes to Connor Hellebuck, and Hellebuck rightfully so wants Andre Vasilevsky money. I don't think he's going to get Andre Vasilevsky money. What would that be for the nine and a half million dollars? Now he's he could get it. He could get it elsewhere on a team that isn't poised to maybe take a run at two or three appearances in the Stanley Cup. That's right. And if we can go back to and the difference is Andre Vasilevsky has championships and trips to the Stanley Cup final. uh, Something Hellebuck does not have. Now his asking price. This is how negotiations always go. If 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 the reports are accurate, nine and a half would be something that. Uh, you would be a starting point, uh, but there's a lot of interest in there. And considering, just as you said, Greg, uh, where the Winnipeg Jets are right now and where the New Jersey Devils are right now, and what Connor Hellebuck has said, he doesn't want to rebuild or retool or whatever. He wants to win. He wants to win cups. And also the reporting that the ship has sailed on him signing an extension here in Winnipeg. Uh, a team like New Jersey would be an optimum landing spot for him. He's going to have to make a decision. Uh, but in, in terms of the Winnipeg Jets and what they could get back for Connor Hellebuck from New Jersey could be a big haul with some big players. I'm not going to guess who it could be, but it could fill a lot of those holes in the Winnipeg Jets lineup. And what about PLD, Pierre-Luc Dubois? Well, this one is interesting because, uh, uh, and, and this one, uh, uh, again, there's there's a lot of reports going around. There's some people suggesting he's going to sign in Montreal, and this is all smoke and mirrors. And there's some people suggesting that the LA, the LA Kings and now it seems to be that there's a lot more teams opening up. When I say a lot more, I'm meaning three, four, or five other teams besides LA or Montreal who've kind of been dealing with a lot of the a lot of these sort of um, uh, the pressure. Thing about Montreal is I 
I, I, I have to think that Montreal doesn't think that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be the difference between them making a push or something. I don't think they're ready to be that team yet. So Montreal doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and, I, and I really don't think that they're willing to pay him more than Nick Suzuki, which is about $7.5 million. I mean, especially when he's looking for nine. I, I, a team like LA would make more sense. But the thing is, with Los Angeles, they have real big cap issues. And I think they're in the process right now. Uh, and this is just my opinion on it. I think LA is in the process of trying to move cap out, and I don't think they're they're having a, a real easy time doing it. At the very least, they're trying to determine if they could make cap cap space yes. for for somebody like Dubois. So how complicated this deal would be? First of all, the Jets and that team would have to commit to a trade of assets. Then you'd have. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois' agent come in and then hammer out a deal with that team for a sign-in trade where Pierre-Luc Dubois would then sign an eight-year deal with the Winnipeg Jets and then immediately be traded, uh, just like Matthew Kachuk, uh, to that team. That makes things a lot more complicated, right? And then, of course, on top of all this, the cap's only gone up a million bucks. So a lot of teams that you know, are, are going to be really, really tied up against the cap. So is it going to be LA? Is it going to be Montreal? I don't think Montreal is willing to really spend a lot. I said, well, wait a year. So I think there's other teams that are going to be a play. I think there's going to be a team that's going to come in the 11th hour here, uh, you know, maybe at 1145 or something like that. And they're going to swoop in and they're going to make the deal. Is, is a wild card, a potential wild card in any move here. And I think I know the answer to this. The assets that the Winnipeg Jets would deem acceptable in any trade Mm -hmm. are one thing. The willingness of said assets to come to Winnipeg and the prospect of them subsequently becoming the next Pierre-Luc Dubois that says, yeah, "Yeah, I don't want to play there anymore. I would prefer to play here. Is that going to be part of the challenge for Kevin Sheveldayoff settling on any sort of deal? That's always the challenge for the Jets. It's always going to be the challenge. It always will be, unless this team has won back-to-back Stanley Cups. Then I think you're going to find a lot easier of a time of finding these guys uh, and and players coming here. But the the situation right now, I think the league knows the situation in Winnipeg. They've seen the year-enders in two to three years here. There's there's some chaos and there's a little bit of dismay. Players talk. I don't. Winnipeg is not a destination right now. I don't think people see this team as a team that's going to take a step next year. Now. I don't necessarily agree with that. I have to wait and see what the Winnipeg Jets are going to get back in terms of assets. They could be a much more balanced team. And I don't like all this talk about, you know, the the league is so copycat. There's this idea that, oh, you know, you don't need a, a, a big stud uh, goaltender anymore. You have a tandem and then you, have, you spend more money on defense. Well, that's how the Golden Knights did it. But if the Florida Panthers won the Stanley Cup and Sergei Bobrovsky was fantastic and uh, Matthew Kachuk you know, led the way, oh, you need a top giant superstar and uh, down, you know, down the middle. And you also need, um, you also need a, a top goaltender to win. That's just how the league is. There's no, there's not one way to skin a cat. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's more ways for you to win the Stanley cup. It just so happened that the golden Knights did it that way. So they were a very balanced team. So I think the Winnipeg Jets, if they, and this is why Mark Shifley is, is going to, they're going to wait to see with Mark Shifley. They're going to wait to see what they can get back for Hellebuck. And they can wait to see what they get back from Pierre-Luc Dubois. And then they're going to open the market for what they can acquire for, for, for Mark Shifley. And then Blake Wheeler, I think is going to be the last piece to move here. But the Jets are just to go back to your question. The Winnipeg Jets are going to go after guys with term RFAs and guys that they can control and then convince to stay here. And if the team can be a better team with this, with this, this changeover with a core that hasn't worked. We'll wait and see what happens with the Winnipeg Jets, but I'm not ruling them out next year, that's for sure. 
More hockey talk on Jets at noon with Cameron Poitras and Jim Toth and Bombers tonight. Cameron Poitras, what time is pregame? Pregame starts at 5.30, kickoff at 7.30 right here on 680 CGOB, your radio home of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers.